Good evening. We are continuing the Talmud series. And uh, last week, if you remember last week, the last thing we spoke about was the Akadosh Baruch Hu said to Avraham Avinu that the punishment of his children would be that they will have to go through four different exiles. Uh, Babylon, uh, Persia, uh, the Greeks, and the Romans. And also we spoke about the nation of Israel is similar to an olive, to the olive. Why it's similar to the olive? Because you get the oil out of the olive by beating it up. You get the good out of the nation of Israel by beating them up, which means when they go and torture them, pogroms, holocaust, problems, terrorism, then they have time for their father in heaven. When everything is smooth and working out, they're not so anxious to be faithful and to be grateful. The truth is, it's, it's true about every person, not about only the nation of Israel. But since the nation of Israel is obligated to do a lot more, then the demand from them and the responsibility is much higher. When, someone, when you have two kids, one you don't expect so much, and the other one you expect a lot, so when the kid that you don't expect from is doing something wrong, you let it go most of the time. Because you didn't expect him to do the right thing. But when the son that is your pride, he is the one who is not good, what do you do? You send somebody to watch him, maybe to give him a hard time, uh, to, you know, to follow him. Because you care more about what he does than the other one. And that's the way the nature is. Since Hashem expects much more for his children, obviously when they are not performing, it's, it's a bigger disappointment. And so that, that's where we spoke about. We spoke about a, a Siamic twins. If somebody has two heads, which one of them you should put the, that fill in? Is it two souls, one soul? This is where we ended up. Today, I would like to continue. Uh, as I told you, there are 339 slides in this lecture, and we are in three number, uh, 311. So maybe two, three more lectures we should be done with this series, hopefully. Amar Rabbi Natan, there is no mitzvah in a Torah that besides the reward, the little reward that you get for it in this world, that doesn't have a reward for the afterlife, as we all know. And the Gemara brings an example. Come and learn from the mitzvah of tzitzit. What's mitzvah of tzitzit? One person was very careful with mitzvah tzitzit. He always had the tzitzit on him. Then, but he was making other sins. It's common. People sometimes good in one mitzvah, and they bad with one, with the other one. He heard that there's a prostitute far away from the other side of the river or the ocean that she charged 400 coins of gold. This is a fortune. Fortune is like, uh, in our days, it's like could be more than $10,000 if it would be today. They had to go to her. He wants to go to her. So he sent her with a messenger 400 coins of gold, right, uh, to give him an appointment, which means she was a busy prostitute. So she told him the, te- the place and the time where to meet with her, and he went. It was an hotel or something, so he went in. This story took, took place 2,000 years ago. He came, he sat by the entrance. Then she has a servant like that she takes care of her stuff. So the servant came and said, you can come in. So he goes in, and she has seven different beds, like in different levels over there. 
six of them made from silver, one of them, the top one made from gold, which means she was a very rich prostitute, not just one on the street, right? And she has ladders, the ladders made from pure silver, and the top one made from pure gold. And she's sitting all the way on the top, you know? And uh, he comes and he sees what's happening, so he climbs slowly, slowly, took his clothes off. He put his clothes on one of the beds, and he climbs up and wanna make a scene with her. And uh, after, you know, he was about to make the scene with her, the strings of the tzitziot fell on his face from, the, from one of the beds. So when he looked at the string of the tzitziot, he got very nervous. He realized what he's about to do, so he quit. He left her alone. So she said to him, what happened? So he told her, no, nothing, nothing happened. She said, no, no, no. I'm not letting you go before you tell me what's wrong about me. Something like this never happened to me. So he told her, I swear to you that I never saw a beautiful woman like you in the whole world. It has nothing to do with you. So she said, so what happened? So he told her, there's one mitzvah that our God gave us, it's mitzvah tzitzit, that we have to make the strings and the knots, which is the names of God. And God says in the Torah, I am the one who reward or punished everyone based on what he does. And I'm faithful to give reward and also to pay for the punishments. Now I look at these four witnesses around me. There's four different nuts with the strings in the four corners of the garment. And how can I make a scene when I have these four witnesses right above my head here? She told him, I, I want you to swear to me, to me and give me your real name. Because people probably used to come with fake names. And they, so she said, tell me the real name. What city are you from? What is the name of your rabbi? This is a non-Jewish goya, prostitute, Roman. What is the name of the yeshiva where you're learning Torah over there? Write it down for me, please. He wrote down everything. She realized, she learned a lot from that story. She got up, she wrote a third of her wealth to the kingdom. You gotta pay taxes, what can you do? a third for the poor people, and a third she took with her hand, and she came to the Bet Midrash of Rabbi Chia, to the yeshiva of Rabbi Chia, the legendary rabbi that lived at that time. She told him, Rabbi, I want to convert. I want to become Jewish. He told her, maybe you like one of the students here, that because of that you want to become Jewish? She said, no, I learned from a story. I learned from a story, and I want to make repentance. So, you know, so she took the note out, and she brought the sheets with her. And she said, these sheets that the scene was about to happen with that, now a mitzvah will happen with that. Something kosher will happen with these sheets. So after they, they, they were convinced, that uh, she's very serious. She gave to the poor, she, you know, she really, she stopped with what she's doing. And they converted her. 
And uh, in the end, they got married, her and the, and the guy. So it's very interesting, this story, because when you look at the story, something like this can happen today, even. It can happen to a person. A person goes very down with his spirituality, he ended up, he married a non-Jewish prostitute, he finds her, whatever, and then he's about to make a scene, and he stops, and she asks why, and he says, well, I'm afraid of God, he's watching this, tzitzit, he tells her the story, and this Gentile, the Goya, She's, if she's clever, she's impressed. Wow, how can a person hold himself being with the most beautiful woman, you know, together in a room, and just because of his irat shamayim, he has fear from God, he doesn't want to make a scene. So obviously, it's almost impossible for her to find something like this where she lives, with her environment, the kind of people she hangs out with. So she gets very impressed, she converts, and then she marries him. But let's look at that from the guy's point of view. The guy was about to make a scene. How long would be the scene? One hour, and it's over. And he paid fortune for it, 400 coins of gold. So you know, when you consider how much he paid, and what was his scene, and all that, how much, how much he enjoyed from the scene. Not that much on the, in the end. Now he got that beautiful woman to be his wife, and she converted, so she's like a new creature, a newborn, it's like a new baby. And now he got her for good. And this is basically how everything works with Hashem. Whatever you can eat with a sin, you enjoy temporary pleasure and it's over. If you give up that pleasure, you will get a permanent uh, pleasure. You understand? And besides that she became his wife and he enjoyed with her, when a person has a pretty wife, is one of the things that make him the happiest in life, right? The, the Gemara says three things make the mind of the person happy. The mind of the person uh, always in, like, in a good mood and feel great about himself. One, he has a nice house, nice utensils, things that he uses all like top of the line quality, and a beautiful wife. So if a person has beautiful wife, beautiful house, and beautiful things, he has a peace of mind. He is never worried, always in a good mood. Even when things happen to him, he say, well, I can comfort, comfort uh, with, with the fact that I have a nice wife, a nice house, everything that I drive, a nice car, whatever. So it makes him feel good about himself. I'm talking here in this world, right? So what happened here? So this guy, not only that he enjoy here, that he got this beautiful woman to be his wife, the best part is that when he goes to the afterlife, his reward is endless. How long he was with her? 10 years, 20, 40, whatever they were married. Eventually, even the most beautiful wife, she's not as pretty when she becomes 60, 70, 80, right? So, you know, he enjoy X amount of years. And, and, in, and in the end, when he comes to his trial, they see that he was about to make such a scene, and he was able to hold himself thanks to mitzvah tzitzit. Oh, oh there's no end to the reward. Uh, the Gemara continue. The Gemara says like this: Amar Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. We're still in the same subject like last week. Still in the same place. We're in Gemara in Masechet Menachot. Why the nation of Israel is compared to an olive? Remember last week we say because when you beat up the olive the oil comes out. So to get the good out of the Jew is only with agony and pain and suffering and pogroms and the goyim after them and, and that's it. So now is another example. What the olive tree is leaves does not fall in the summer and does not fall in the winter. The leaves always stay 
A nation of Israel will always remain in a world. Nobody can get rid of them. No matter how much they try, winds, storms, to get, like sometimes if you have a feeling that the wind and nature is fighting with the trees to make all the leaves fall. But some of the leaves is hanging to the tree and it's very difficult. Storm, this. Sometimes the whole branch breaks and the leaves do not fall. So this is like this world. The Goim are so anxious to get rid of the Jews everywhere, and especially now in America, in New York. Racism, I heard that they beat up somebody yesterday, almost killed him. Uh, he came out of the subway, some Jew, Russian Jew. Every week there's an incident, burning the, the cars, uh, putting uh, graffiti. Uh, it's very serious already, you know? So the anti-Semitism is rising, but it's nothing new. It's nothing new. Every once in a while you have a timeout of 10 years, 20 years, then it rises again. Then at 5, 10 years, boom, it rises again. It's always like this, it's always been like this. So no matter how much they try to get rid of the nation of Israel, they always remain like the leaves on the tree are never fall. That's why, and this is only by the olive tree. Other trees, the leaves are falling, winter, summer. Sometimes you have leaves, sometimes not, depends. But the olive tree, even winter, even summer, the leaves staying. The olives come on and off, but the, actually the leaves are staying there. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, when you said the Sanhedrin, the 71 big chief rabbis of Israel, the Chachamim, these are the conditions that a person has to have before he can be nominated to be one of the 71 sages that sit in a Sanhedrin. They have to have full wisdom in Torah, full knowledge, control, full knowledge, which means it cannot be that you ask them something about something and they won't be able to answer. And you know how wide is the Torah, it's like an ocean. So any question, any subject, any page, they have to have full control. Then they have to, they have to be very impressive and good looking. Thank you. Who cares about good looking? Today, we are to, today, when you go, you care if the rabbi is handsome or ugly. Well, you choose the rabbi based on his look. Oy vey, if that's the case. But over here is different. We are not talking just the rabbi that you ask him what to do. We're talking judges. And sometimes the empty-minded people, the ordinary people who have nothing in their brain, you know the joke that one guy had one wire in his brain. When they open up his brain, they're looking what's going on, they see one wire, so one doctor cut the wire, the two ears fell. <laughs> so even one wire he didn't have. There's really no brain. The world is full of people like this. Unfortunately, that's the case. Uh, sometimes you see people do very foolish things when it comes to religion. But I always say, it depends. There's two kinds of fools. There are fools who are foolish when it comes to Judaism and religion, yeah, but they're very smart in business and other things. And there are people who are just dumb in everything they do. Who do you think will get bigger punishment from Hashem when they die? Someone who's full always in everything or someone who's only full in Judaism? Full in Judaism, yes, you're right. If he's dumb in everything, he messed up his business, messed up his marriage, messed up everything, people take advantage on him, people fool him, every salesman who comes to his business trick him, and many other examples like this. You know, so people like this, people like this, uh, you know, you, you understand why they're also foolish when it comes to Torah and mitzvot. But if 
is that if the person is, uh, you know, when he only, it's only able to tell the, the, to tell the difference between good and bad when it comes to business, money, you know, things like this. But when it comes to Torah, it's dumb. Oh, that's a, oh. That means you had the ability, but you didn't want to be good. That's the difference. Someone is just dumb. It's like the example I always give. The father that has two children, very smart and very foolish. Who does he expect from? From the smart one. If the foolish one makes a mistake, he pretends he doesn't see. Why? Because he doesn't expect from him. Okay, so now, so they have to be handsome. Why? Tall, handsome, impressive. Why is it charismatic? Why? Because the empty-minded people, they don't respect people based on their wisdom. Smart people in any field, Jews, Goim, doesn't matter, mathematician, uh, you know, anything, hist historians, but they're smart in something, they know to appreciate someone who has wisdom even in a different field, like a big lawyer admire a big doctor and vice versa, or a big judge admire a, a great professor in college. Why? If they feel like colleagues, you are wise, I am wise, sometimes they think they're wise, but in general, this is the way the world is. Yeah, uh, he doesn't appreciate the shoe shine in a subway like he appreciates professor in one of the colleges he's been there. Why? Because this is the nature of the world. So when they come in front of these judges, if you see an ugly man, not impressive, small, even though he knows the entire Torah by heart, he learned all his life and is a genius, he won't be an authority for him. He is unable to respect him because he's such a low-level person, he thinks he's great, he's very low, so he doesn't, he cannot tell between, to separate between the important thing to the nonsense. For him it's a package deal. So you are only impressive if you're also very handsome and charismatic and a great speaker and, and the whole deal. If you only have the wisdom, sit home and write books, do us a favor. Don't come to tell us what to do. This is the way they think. So in order for these people never to have a any complaint, they cannot open their mouth. What are they going to say? 71 chief rabbis, the biggest in the world, in Torah. The most charismatic, the most handsome, everything about them, right? But it gets even better. So I say also tall, big, not little ones. Not young. Sometimes it can be a young, genius guy. But also young, it's very hard for the people to receive an authority from him. If you have a big community and you bring a 22 years old rabbi, just became a rabbi, and it could be once in a lifetime you have a genius like this. If he comes and there's 60, 70 years old people in the audience, they, they get angry. Who did you bring here? They don't even give him a chance to open his mouth to prove what a genius he is. He could be much more genius than someone who is 50. You don't know, he learned all his life and he's a genius. He, he may know so much, but it doesn't work. A 22 or 25 cannot be an authority to 100 people that they are older than 50, even though they're fully ignorant. They don't know anything. It doesn't matter. They will never respect him in the right way. And this is the way the world is. Same thing in teachers. If you, have a, 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 you open up a class for a 50 years old and older, why do you bring him, a teacher that is 20 years old? If you can be my grandson, you're telling me what to do. 
You're telling me to be quiet. I have to raise my hand to get permission from you. It's very hard for them. Okay, so, so, Ba'alek Shafim, they know all the Kishufim, all the black magic. Why they have to know it? Because when a person comes and does things like this in a court, they have to know if it's real or not. Which means you can see that a judge can only be a judge in a case if he's an expert in this case. For instance, today it could be a delegation, an argument between two partners in the stock market. What do you think? Every rabbi can be a judge? Not everyone can be a judge. You need a, special, a specialist for business. Someone who's an expert in a stock market. Besides Torah, besides all the rules of Shulchan Aruch, Hoshen, Umishpat, he must be an expert in everything that happens in a stock market. He knows options, he knows how to short, how to buy long uh, day trading, he knows frauds, he knows inside information. He, he has to know everything. He has to know all the regulations, the, the, the FBI, what is a scene, what is, not, what is a crime, what's not a crime. Because it's not always the same like the Torah, right? I'll give you an example. If a person told you, buy this stock tomorrow, it will go up. Buy it today. I'm telling you, my uncle owned the company. Buy it. You'll make a lot of money. How much is this? $10. You buy it. The next day, it became 30 You made a million dollars. What happened to you if they catch you? You go six years to prison. They take away all your money, including your home. That's what's happened here. It's called inside information. But if you got caught by the Jewish police, according to the Torah, they say you're a lucky guy. There's nothing we can do to you. Why? Because what is the crime? If my, if my friend's father wants to sell his business and it's not on the market yet, it's not on the market yet, and uh, he comes to me, my friend, and he says, listen, I like you. My father is about to sell a million dollar business for half a million dollars. Run quickly to his home, knock on the door, offer him the money, buy it before he puts it in the market. And you ran and bought the business for half a price. And he just saved you half a million dollars. And then you got caught. That you, you knew before everyone else in the market to run to buy that business. Where is the crime? What? You just got lucky. So same thing over here. If somebody told you this company will go up tomorrow, you got lucky that somebody told you. By the way, you should know like in Japan it's legal. The Japanese didn't see a crime here. And in some other countries, but in some countries it's a big thing. In America, it's compared to like rapist. A rapist and someone who receive information and bought stocks getting more or less the same punishments. Hard to believe, but that's the way it is. Just for lawyers, they have to pay $300,000, you know, after they get caught by the FBI. It's a horrible thing. So what do you see here? Sometimes you come to a Jewish court, according to them, you're completely innocent, but according to the country where you live in, you'll be criminal. Or sometimes it's the other way around. The other way around. For instance, if you told Lashon Hara about somebody, gossip, and because of you, he went bankrupt. Nobody ever went into his business. In the Jewish court, even if you say the truth, you say something about him and his wife. You went and told the people, you know, this guy is a very bad guy. He beat up his wife. You told the two people. 
And now nobody wants to go to his business because they hate him because of that. And he went bankrupt. If he sues you in a Jewish court, you are guilty. If he sues you in a secular court, the judge say, well, you say the truth, it's not Lashonara. In the Israeli secular law, they don't understand that Lashonara, what the Torah speaks Lashonara, it's Lashonara about the truth. If you make up a lie, it's called Motzi Shemra, it's a much bigger sin. But Lashonara, who say you're allowed to publish the truth about a person and destroy him? The punishment is going to get, compared to the, the sin that he committed, is not, no comparison. Let's say one time he lost his temper and he beat up his son or something, or he embarrassed his family in public. And now you went and told the story about him, and it caused him a million dollar damage. Maybe they wanted to nominate him to be the president of the company, and a day before you came and told the story, and now people got called. Ah, maybe we shouldn't get him after all, and they vote against him. In the next five years, he lost a million dollars in salaries because of the two minutes Lashonara that you spoke. In a Jewish court, you are guilty. You come in front of God, you are guilty. You go to a secular court, you say the truth. Uh, we don't see anything wrong. Today, for the first time in Israel, since it became a country, finally the government started to realize that we have to set a limit to the amount of Lashonara that people speak. So they made a rule, it passed in the Israeli Knesset in a vote, that if somebody will publish Lashonara in a newspaper, the newspaper will publish personal, confidential information about people, they would be subject to $300,000, 300,000 shekel lawsuit, $80,000 lawsuit. If you publish something about somebody, they'll go crazy, because they scream, democracy, freedom of speech, freedom, freedom, freedom. Finally, they realize. Two interesting things happened in the last 48 hours. This is one thing which I'm very surprised. They finally got it after so many years that they murdered so many people with this Lashonara that they published every day. Something else happened. There's another minister in the Israeli government that is not religious. So yeah, they interviewed him and they told him, what do you think about the greatest danger that we have from Iran? that if Iran will have a bomb, it could, it could be the end of Israel. So guess what he answered? Not religious guy, Michalel Shabbat. He say, in my opinion, our danger is completely not from Iran. Our danger is our ignorance in Judaism. That was his answer. This is what I've been saying for years. The biggest enemy of the person is in ignorance. Our new generation know less and less about our tradition, our culture, our Torah, and that's why we have, we have no future. That's much more dangerous than Iran. Which means with Iran we can handle the situation. But with this, if we're not going to do something about it, we are finished. Of course what he says has to start with himself. Well, he's gonna, if he's going to change or not, probably not, but at least he had the courage to say the truth, and they publish it on a newspaper, on a, on a media. Okay, so let's move on. So, Amar Rabbi Yochanan, so you, when you put somebody to sit in a Sanhedrin, has to be wise, has to know the whole Torah, has to be good looking, has to be tall, has to be old enough, with experience, have to know all the black magic, all the, the magic, the kishufim, 
have to know 70 languages. That was the languages in the world at that time. Which means if a person comes speak Arabic, he has to, to understand the lawsuit in front of him. Not to bring Muhammad to be an interpreter. Why? Because when a, when a person translates a different language, he can never do a perfect job. Never. He can do, in the best scenario, 99%, 95%. Here and there, they translate words a little bit different, and the deep meaning of the word can change the entire verdict. This is, by the way, what happened to all the goyim when they translated the Torah. When they translated the Torah. For instance, you know that the Christians have a big scam. They took the words of the prophet Isaiah that is speaking about Alma. Alma in Hebrew, you ask any Israeli all over the world. Any Alma means young girl, young woman, young, young lady. So they translated it in their language to the word virgin. If after the Jews told them so many times, you are modifying the real translation, it's not the truth. There's never been a virgin. It's a young lady. It's nothing to do with a virgin. Some of them agree to change back. Most of them stay with the scam. So even if they made an innocent mistake in the beginning, at one point it became a scam because they never corrected it. So today, one Goya sent me an email giving me an example from last week's parsha. What did she say? You know, how the goyim know so much about the parasha? Almost every goy by art scroll. Art scroll sell chumashim and gmarot to goyim much more than to Jews. Did you know that? If art scroll had to be depend only on the Jewish world, they probably wouldn't make any profit. All the profits that they have comes from the goyim. The real, what makes them really a big company comes from the goyim. The goyim all over the world, they ship books to all over, to the Middle East, to Arab countries, anywhere you want. That's where they really make their, their money from. That's why some of the words that they translate, it's not the way they want to translate. They translate it for the goyim not to make mistakes in the idol worshipers. You know, it's very interesting how it is. So this woman gives me an example from the pasuk, Right? That Eliezer goes to get a, a, a wife for Yitzchak. He sees Rivka. She's beautiful. Tovat And a person never slept with her. This is what the Pasuk says. So she says, see, here is Nara. And you see, Nara means a virgin. Nara. What's Nara in Hebrew? A girl. Teenage. A young girl. Teenage. So... I wrote to her the opposite. From this verse, it's a proof that I'm right, not you. But they thought, sometimes so dumb, they cannot even understand what they read. I wrote to her, if you were right, why the Torah needed to add and a person never had relation with her? If Nara is a virgin, all you have to do, and the girl is a virgin, finish. Everybody understand, nobody touch her. There's no extra word in the Torah. Torah never write extra words for nothing. So the opposite, because it says Nara, which is only a young girl, the Torah needed to write clearly, and a, and a person never slept with her. To show you that Nara could be virgin or non-virgin. So, <laughs> this is what the Torah said, they have eyes, but they don't see. 
They have ears, but they don't hear. You know why they don't hear? Because they don't want to hear. They already set their mind, so they don't want to hear. Same thing, they don't want to see. You bring them the proofs, they don't want to see. You understand? So let's move on. So they have to know 70 languages that the Sanhedrin will not hear interpretation from an interpreter. Why? It can change the truth and the justice in a court. And this is very important. Rabbi Yochanan Amar Rabbi Yochanan says, someone who learned all the services that were performed in Bet HaMikdash, in the Holy Temple, they get a reward like they participate in building the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. Because they learn all the sacrifices, all the rules of Bet HaMikdash. That's already a preparation for building Bet HaMikdash. So even if physically it wasn't built, it wasn't their choice. It's not in their hand to build or not. It's only in God's hand. But the fact that they build and constantly, even though it's not so relevant today, what do you need to know about sacrifices today? If, if the Jews would know 100% that the third temple will never be built, most of them would never touch these laws. What's, why to, le to learn about things that were relevant 2,000 years ago when I have so much to learn about what I need every hour? First, let me do everything that I need, and then when I be 90, I'll learn a little bit just for general knowledge. But today, it's a part of the system. In every yeshiva, all the kids, everybody learns it. Why? Because we know when the Mashiach comes, we're going to have to know all these things right away, not to start learning for 10 years now when Mashiach is standing in, 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 in Central Park, waiting. What are you doing here? I'm waiting until these fools will learn finally what needs to be done. What am I? Nobody knows anything. You understand? So you have to know. So this is it. Amar Rish Lakish. What is it? Zota Torah laola la mincha la chatat. What all this pasuk that we say sometimes in the morning when we pray, it's in a korbanot there. It's a very important pasuk. It says like this. Amar Rava, kol haosek batorah. Someone who learns Torah. He does not really need, not korban ola, not the ola sacrifice, not korban mincha, not korban chatat, not korban asham. By learning it, by learning it, it's count like you sacrifice it. Same thing, pitum aktoret. Pitum aktoret, anur abanaj, achat asar samanim ayuba, tzori, vatsiporen, we say it every day, it's like you're making the ktoret. It's a big thing. So by saying it every day, why they put it in a prayer? It's learning. It's not, a, it's not a request. What? To pray to God, what is it? Either to praise him or to ask from him. One of the two. You're either praising him or you're asking from him. While you all, all of a sudden have to write in the middle of the prayer the 11 uh, spices that they used to put in a ktoret. What does it have to do? Because of this gemara. By doing it, count like you are making the ktoret, which is saving so many people from dying. It's big secrets. Maybe one day I'm going to make an entire lecture just about pitum ktoret to show you how many things you can save a person from. And if you read it from a klaf, many people, they write it like a sefer Torah. It's gulala shirut for parnasah, for all kinds of things, you know. So it says like this. זאת תורת החטאת, זאת תורת האשם, כל העוסק בתורת חטאת, כאילו הקריב חטאת. Everyone who learned the rules of the sacrifice of חטאת, it means if you make an intentional sin, a non-intentional sin, 
that if it was intentional, you deserve onish karet, punishment of karet, that the soul gets cut, the 36 restrictions in the Torah that it's isur karet. If you did it not intentionally, such as Chilul Shabbat is one of them, violating Shabbat, then you have to bring a sacrifice to Bet HaMikdash because you made a not intentional Chilul Shabbat. Understand? So uh, today, when we don't have this, the Bet HaMikdash, if a person by mistake was Mechalel Shabbat, how is he going to bring a go to Bet HaMikdash? There's no Bet HaMikdash. What's the replacement for it? If he learns the rules of Korban Chatat, right? I, I spoke about it in my other series, the Tariyak Mitzvot, the 613th one, explained all the rules, applied to it, who, when, what, for what. Yeah, so if you learn all this, it counts like you actually sacrifice a Korban Chatat. Look at the power of learning. The Gemara say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not bringing a damage to the world from the animals of the righteous people. And it's needless to say from the righteous people themselves, right? If Hashem is careful that a righteous man has a horse or a donkey, that his donkey will never kill someone, or the horse will never ride over somebody who lay down in the grass at night, or anything like this, there's an extra protection that the animals of the righteous people will not bring any harm to the world. The Gemara brings a story. Rabbi Pinchas ben Yair, was on his way to redeem a Jewish prisoner from the hands of the Goim. He went to the river of Ginai. There was a river. Now he has to cross the river. It's deep. How is it? He doesn't have a boat. What is he going to do? He started to talk to him. Please split. Make me an aisle that I can go through. You know? So, So the river told him, you are doing what you're supposed to do in your purpose, the purpose of your life, to satisfy your creator, and I am busy satisfying my creator. You trying to do what he told you to do, there is a doubt. Maybe you'll be able to do, maybe you fail. I am for sure not failing, which means my creator told me that I, I have to be here. I mean, this is, now who's talking here? The water? The water cannot talk. Who is he talking to? To the angel. The angel who is in charge of all the water in the world. Same angel that helped when Moshe split the ocean, the Dead Sea, all the miracles who ever happened in the world with water, there's an angel who is in charge of water. There's an angel who is in charge of metal. There's an angel who is in charge of other things in the creation. There's Malach Raphael is in charge of all medicine and sicknesses and all these things. And, and there's, there's, every angel has a job. So he's speaking now to the angel. These people are not only they were Kabbalists, they were in such level that they were bigger than the angels. The angel of death couldn't take the soul of Moshe, Moses. He couldn't take his soul out. Think about it. Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, the angel of death, is 2,000 years ago. The angel of death could not win against Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. What do we know about the angel of death? Can we do anything when he comes to take our soul? What can we do? Nothing we can do. They know all the secrets of the creation. So Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi not only did not let him take his soul, 
he eliminated his sword. It created a, a, a big mess. They asked Hashem, what are we doing with, this him, with him now? So order him to return back the sword. But he was already in heaven. Say, so, come out of it. You didn't have a trial. So no, I swore that I'm not coming out of here. Look at the power a person arrived. So Hashem said, check in his life. If he ever made a vow and never kept his promise, take him out. If all his life he kept every word he said, then there's nothing we can do. I check his entire life in the court of heaven. Every word came out of his mouth, he kept 100%. He never dismissed it, never canceled, never lied, never regret, never changed his opinion. Whatever he said, he did. Hashem says, there's nothing we can do with him. He is one of the 10 righteous people, 10 righteous people who went to heaven direct. No trial, no debt, no nothing. Rabbi Yoshua ben Le, one of the 10 in history, which if I remember correctly, three or four of them were going. Among them Eliezer, the servant of Abraham, one of the kings of the Goim. Yeah, there's a list of 10 people. Eliyahu Anavi is one of them, Elijah. So anyway, so what do we see here? So the river refused to split. The angels say, well, what, am I, what is this? Everyone who ordered me to split, I'm going to split. I have to do what God ordered me. It's the law of nature here. So he said to him, if you do not split, I will make a decree that all the waters that you have flow, floating in your, in your uh, river will dry up. You won't have any more water. I'll make a decree, listen to his power. This is Rabbi Pinchas ben Yair that you will never see water floating here. He, he got nervous. He split. So, then he saw a person that bringing wheat, wheat, cut wheat in bundles, bundles of wheat, on his animal, that they can make matzot for Pesach. Now, if the wheat will get wet, it become chametz. So he said, split for him also. Let him also go, you know? So he's busy with the mitzvah. You cannot close. Let him, let him go through. So he, he didn't have a choice. He's afraid of him. So he split for him. Then he saw... One Arab, one guy is passing there also. So not to make Hilul Hashem, also let him also go. So look at the power that they couldn't do anything, that angel, to close the water. Bottom line from this story, in the end, he says like this. I'm thinking to myself if to go for the entire story because it becomes a little bit too long. Bottom line, the moral of the story is like this, that the Gemara wants to teach that uh, the righteous people that are great in their life, they are even greater after they passed away. And they give an example 
they give an example from uh, Elisha. Elisha was the rabbi of Eliyahu Navi of Elijah. So the Gemara say Elisha was greater than Eliyahu. Eliyahu revived the dead, but when he was alive, Elisha revived the dead once he was already dead. That the body that touched him came back to life from his holiness. When Eliyahu Navi did it, was he, he was alive. When did it happen? It says, They threw a body to the grave of Elisha, and the body touched the body of Elisha, and he came back to life. You understand? So he says, Eliyahu Navi was alive. When you're alive, you can, you can perform if you know all the secrets. But Elisha was able to revive the dead when he was still, he was already not here. So the Gemara, the Gemara also says, the Gemara also says, Pinchas ben Yair, this is the one we talked about, that he never ate a piece of bread that he wasn't his, from any other person his entire life. From the day he became mature, teenage, teenager, he did not eat even from his father's money. He did not want to accept anything from any people, any person, even from his own father. Do you believe this? The level of people who say you're not allowed to eat from your father, it's not a sin. You can eat from your father, no problem. But this is the level that this person was in. Rabbi Hanina, he was 80 years old. He was standing on one leg and tried to remove the shoe from the other leg. They told him, Rabbi, how are you so strong? If a person knows that his health is, he wants to know if he's in good condition, he have to stand on one leg and see if he lose balance or not. As long as he can stay on one leg and he's not falling, that means he's still in good physical condition. If more than 10 seconds he cannot stay, he begins to fall like this, that means he's already his physical condition is going down. Up to the moment he can still stand, that means his physical condition is still strong. So he was uh, 80 years old, 80 years old, Standing on life is hard when people have no derech heretz. So it says like this uh, that he stands on one leg and is able to take the other leg. It's very hard, even for me, for young people, 40, 20. You stand on one leg and you try to remove another thing, you fall right away. Eight years old. So they told him, Hanina, Rabbi Hanina, how come you so healthy, Bliainara? He say, the hot water and the oil that my mother used to smear on my body when I was a kid are the reason that I'm strong in my old days. What do you think? That's really the answer? What is he going to tell them? I'm, I never made a scene in my life, so that's why I'm able to be 80, but I'm like 13. So he gives them an answer, the hot water, the oil, what does it have to do with standing on one leg? But the, the, being humbled is very important. So 
וגמרא סייז מקדיס, ההוא עומד דחזי על ההוא גברא דנפל מאיגרא לארה. One Roman guy, he saw a person fell from the top into the ground, and his stomach opened, and his uh, stomach came out, his me'ayim. Everything came out, very, very disgusting. So they brought him to his son and slathered him in front of him. And what's this whole thing? This is the power that this goyim had to make magic and fool the people. It's called achizat enayim. The magic, the black magic that people were able to do in those days were so confusing that sometimes it can fool a person. They brought the Roman, the Roman that was watching this person who fell and his, and his stomach came out, he brought his own son. And he says, he slaughtered his own son and the, from, from the, the, the guy that was making these magics, he did it to the Roman. So the Roman started to cry. The, the other guy started to cry. And he said, don't worry. And the me'ayim, the stomach came right back into the stomach and the body closed. And it looked like he saw the stomach and he got up on his leg, on his, on his legs back. What is it like? You know, like today, the magicians, you go to a show, you take a person, you put him in a box, then they take a sword, they cut it, they move it with the wheels. So you see the feet is over there, he cut, the head is over there. You wonder to yourself, how can it be? Ma, it's five, six feet between the legs, space, two or three feet in between. What's going on here? It's very hard to understand how they do it. The difference is that everything they do today, it's a trick. They're fooling us. There's something we don't know in a story. It could be someone else's feet in different ways, folded, There's all kinds of tricks. Once in a while, the magician teach you, and then you, <laughs> you say, how could I never think about it? But over here, we are talking about something that it's really blinding the people. Not like tricks, bringing another person, hiding him. It's mamash real black magic, like Yishuf. They can take a person and turn him into a donkey for a few hours. And then when the magic wear out, then all of a sudden you see a person is getting up, well, the donkey became a person again. How to imagine such thing? You know, it looks to us like fairy tales. The Gemara said that they saw a man in a, in, a, in a market riding a donkey, and then the black magic wore out. So <laughs> he was sitting on a woman, and everybody started to curse him. Shame on you, what are you touching this woman? Like, what are you trying to do? And he said, no, no, I didn't, it. it was a donkey. <laughs> they fooled him, they sold him a donkey. It was really a woman that they turned her into a donkey. Or there was a mikveh, a shower, public shower. So one rabbi went into the water and the guy that was there froze him. The, well, the, the rabbi was like this in the water and he cannot move. Frozen, like ice. So the other rabbis that were there knew that this guy made the magic to freeze the rabbi. So they waited that they go, go back, there's a turning door, you know, like in, a, like in the airport, you have these round, uh, round doors. So as soon as he got to go out, they froze him over there, that everyone was coming in, he was hitting him in his face. 
So he said, let me go. He said, release the rabbi, we release you. He had his magic, so they couldn't release the rabbi. So only after he released the rabbi, they released him. So I mean, they know also these, these magics. The world, in a spiritual way, was much, much higher, and also the impurity was much, much higher. This is an example how we had Moses and we had Bilam. Moses, Moshe, speaking to God, splitting the water, bringing bread from heaven, doing all kinds of things. And Bilam also have power. Look, Bilam, they hire him. Balak, come, we'll give you everything. You're able to know when God is angry, to curse the Jews, this. How does he have this power? This guy. The impurity had very strong power. That's the explanation why so many people were falling into idols. How can you follow an idol? You make an idol and now you bow down to him. Help me, I need to make a living, I gotta find a job. If you do such a thing, it'll put you in a mental institution. So you fool, you just made this idol. Why are you asking him to give you help, uh, to help you? But the people showed that these idols are doing all kinds of things. They're making all these black magics. The idols doing all kinds of things. You know, as a matter of fact, I used to learn with a guy that was in India. And he told me in my own eyes, I saw in India how one of these Indian magicians feed a statue with a yogurt. He put yogurt in his mouth and the statue is drinking. And everyone's standing like that. Of course they make, they make all kinds of things. But in the old days it was real. That's the problem. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, a father, someone that his father left him a lot of money. He has a millionaire father, and his father passed away and he left him many millions. If he wants to lose this money, qui, nobody wants to lose the money, but he say, if you're going to do ABC, you're going to lose the money quick. What are you going to do? If you're going to dress linen, this is like an expression, you're going to wear the best material, very expensive clothes, which means you're gonna live in a very high society, fancy lifestyle, spend a lot of money, so quickly your money will be gone. We'll use glass utensils. That was only for the rich people. There's all the, 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 the ceramic, and then there is this beautiful crystal and this, okay, which was very expensive. We'll hire workers and leave them to work by themselves. We'll not supervise them, right? So, to use a fancy life, you don't need a gemara for it, right? Everybody knows, you buy a $10,000 suit, and another one, and one. you spend your money like crazy. In the end, your money will, will, will be gone. Same thing, uh, fancy cars, fancy watches. The more you spend, two, three years later, what happened? I ran out of money, I need a loan. Well, your father left you $10 million. Yeah, but I bought here, I went there, I bought this, I bought that. So he finished with the money. But the third one, it's news. Why it's news? The news is, that many people today, they have businesses and they put somebody to watch the business. All of them live in some kind of illusion thinking that the people over there are faithful, they don't steal, they do a good job. But the truth is, if you really check, every person who leaves his business in the hand of strangers, who knows how much he lose? There's no end to how much he lose. 
And once in a while, I have a friend like this, that he has restaurants, and he leaves it in the hands of people. And one time, one of the managers was sick. He couldn't come for a week. And my friend said that that week he made triple business. No holiday, no nothing. Triple business he made profit that week. Which means the manager was stealing two, the, the manager was stealing two thirds of the profits to his pocket. And he started to follow him. He put somebody to follow him. And in the end, they caught him stealing. And he confessed it with, uh, with cold cuts. Not allowed, right? But there is a food called zvi kachli. Kachli. That it's like the stomach of the animal where the milk is. So when you cook it, it tastes like milk that was absorbed in milk. A meat that was, you know, remember, in a, there's always the milk there. So when you slaughter the cow, you take it. By the way, you should know that when they make the cheese, all the hard, salty cheese, they make it in, in the stomach of an animal. It's like a sack. That's how they do it, even until these days, all the farmers. It's big questions if it's kosher, not kosher. I don't want to get into it now, but just for us to know, okay. By the way, it's very interesting that I arrived to this Gemara today, because today I read something very interesting. There is a duck that they import from uh, Japan, I think, a special duck that tastes exactly like pork. And today the chief Ashkenazi rabbi of Israel made a rule that it's allowed to import that to Israel. Because, you know, the Rabbanut, they, have to, they want to get it kosher. They want to sell it to the religious people. Here, here religious guys, see what you're missing. Pork, but kosher pork. This duck. Duck tastes exactly like pork. They say that if you close your eyes and you taste, you don't know which one is pork, which one is this duck. I don't know. I mean, I've, I go to Costco. Sometimes I'm curious. I look at the prices of pork. It's the cheapest meat from all the other. Like beef that is not kosher, it's much more expensive. So I'm thinking to myself, it was, if it was such an important, delicious meat, why it's the cheapest? Maybe because there's much easier to raise pigs I don't know really the answer, but if it was such a delicatess, it should have been more than a cow, no? Or, or, or lamb. But I don't know. Baruch Hashem, I never tasted. So, Tanur Abanan, everything that exists in the land exists in the oceans, except a rat. Get it? Hulda, the big rats. Everything you have in the land, you have inside the water. Anotel sachar ladun dinav betelim. Someone who has to be a judge between, in a court between two people, and he asks them to give him money before, pay me such and such, that I can be a judge between you. You cannot rely on his judgment. The Gemara says, how do we know this? Amar Rav Yehuda, Amar Rav, the Amar Kra, Re'el, limadeti etchem, ma'ani bechinam afatem bechinam. Hashem said to the Jewish nation, I want you to see how I taught you the Torah. I taught you the Torah free. I didn't make you work for it. I didn't ask you to do anything in order for you to get it. You have to teach for free. This, uh, this is an important Gemara. Ma'ani bechinam afatem bechinam. 
תניא נמי אחי, כאשר ציווני השם אלוקיי, משה סיוסו, as my God ordered me to teach, to teach, משה asked them to pay him, excuse me, the nation of Israel, I have a lot to tell you, 300 dollars an hour, private tutor, only the ones who pay, I'll teach them what God told me. Huh? Today it sounds too familiar today. Oh, you want to convert Christine? No problem. A hundred dollars an hour, and she drag her five years. Right. Very good way to make parnasa. All kinds of things. If you're not honest, you're not honest. That's all. So it says, what happens if nobody wants to teach you for free? Are you allowed to pay? The answer is yes. You have to pay. If, that's the, if the choice is between not to learn at all or to learn with paying, the answer is you must pay. Talmud Lomar, Emet Kne, King Solomon wrote, buy the truth with money. Don't be stingy. Pay any price for the truth. Uminayin shelo yomar kishem shelimadetia besachar, kach alamdena besachar. Now he may come and say, when I went to yeshiva, I paid a lot of money to learn. Now you want me to teach you, you pay me what I pay my rabbi. Not allowed to say this. When you go today to the doctors, you say, doctor, my elbow is swollen. Tonight, put two pillows underneath, put your arms like this, the blood will circulate, two or three days, everything will be fine. $1,400, please. You're laughing? It happened to my brother. It's exactly like this, on the way to his car. He looked at him, he told him, because he forgot to call him in. He was on the way out, well, we're waiting here. What's your name? Why I didn't call him? Uh, a mistake, okay, what, what's the problem? Only way with this way. Okay, you put two pillows, you put your hand like this, two, three days, everything will be fine. $1,400, 12 years ago. Probably today it's $2,400. So when, you, when I call to ask, I don't understand. $1,400 for what? He didn't even sit a minute in your office. You know how many years it cost me, my college, my medical school, my insurance? <laughs> for that you pay, not for the five minutes. So he has a point, no? Like they say in uh, tolls. You know why you pay tolls? You know how, it, how much it costs to build a bridge? I promise you they already paid 100 bridges. Hundred bridges a long time ago, but the, the scam will always remain. We are going to days that to pay gas and tolls to get to your job would cost double than what you make. Not far from now, it's already very close to it. If you look, if a person has to drive an hour to work with the traffic that we have today, with two or three bridges that he has to cross, uh, George Washington and then the Triborough, which is two minutes right, five minutes right, sometimes people have to cross. So two on the way, one on the way back, gas, tires, oil change, this, almost $100 to get to work. And then you make 100 they take taxes, you lose money. What do you expect from people to go to work? Of course they rob a bank. You saw 50 black people in Virginia, what they do in Baltimore? No, in Maryland. They came into a store, like a 7-Eleven store, 50 people grab everything and came out in front of the owner. We want to make a party, we don't have money. Many people get robbed, you should be aware of it. There are robberies every second, everywhere you go. Robberies, why? I have nothing to lose. 
winter started, they cannot afford it. They, you know, they, they suffer, they can't pay rent. So what happened? If they rob and they don't get caught, they live good. They get caught, you put them in jail, they have free TV, basketball, heat, food, peanut butter, much better for them, like camp. We went to camp for free. You understand? That's it, with all the gang from the neighborhood. Hey, buddy, what's up? Ah, how you doing? Hey, man. Oh, now we have another one for the five against five. Wow, it's warm here, it's good. Big television, man. <laughs> Why, what does he have to lose? Huh? Very good. Now he goes to jail, his wife comes to the government. I'm a single mom. She makes good money. Everything is rotten, everything is corrupted. So he says, listen, I paid a lot to learn. Why you don't think I deserve to charge? Talmud Lomar emet kneve altimkor. King Solomon wrote, buy the truth with lots of money, but don't sell it with money. Trust God, don't worry. Trust God. Trust God. I know, I tell you the truth today from the situation. I spoke to one speaker, which is a pretty good speaker. And of course, I'm not telling you his name. He asked me, how do you make so many lectures every month? I don't understand what, every night, two lectures, this. I'm trying to make one or two lectures a month. You know how hard it is? And this is a good speaker. If it was mute, then I understand why I cannot. So I told him, it's only one reason. You ask money to come, and I come for free. <laughs> they only call me because I come for free. If I tell them $500 a lecture, like you do, you need to make a living. It doesn't have a job. So nobody would call me. That's all. Maybe two lectures a month I'll do. That's exactly what it is. So I made him feel good. <laughs> it's nothing against you, believe me. Just nobody wants to pay. So what am I going to do? I'm going to starve, he say. I have to pay this. I say, you just trust God. When you go, he say, Hashem, you know I go for free. I need to make a living. I'm in your hand. And the miracles will begin. <laughs> because remember, this is one thing that everybody has to know. You don't make your money necessarily in the job you're working in. But the efforts that you put in that job will help you to get the money elsewhere. You understand what I say? I'll give you an example. One rabbi came to Rav Chaim Kanievsky a few years ago, and he said, Rabbi, I have to go to America to collect money for my yeshiva. I'm so broke. My yeshiva, I need $50,000 in two, three weeks. If not, I have to close the yeshiva. I've never been in America. I don't speak English. I don't know who to go. I don't have names. Please give me a blessing that I'll be able to raise $50,000. It's against all odds. Rabbi gave him a bracha and he left. He came back after three weeks. Avel vechafui rosh. He's completely depressed. Barely, barely he raised the money for the ticket. Ticket and the car that he needed, that's it. Two weeks, he has to already announce that the yeshiva apparently will have to be closed, bankrupt. Three days later, a messenger came to him with an envelope. This is from Rav Chaim Kanievsky, he sent it to you. He opened it up, $50,000 check. From a person who lived three blocks away from his yeshiva in Bnei Brak. 
He ran quickly to Rav Chaim Kanievsky. It's a, it's a nest, a miracle. After he relaxed, he said, Rabbi, I don't understand. Why Hashem sent me to America to suffer, to get embarrassment? People closed their door in my face. I had to walk, snow, rain. I don't know places. Don't know how to ask questions in English. Such embarrassment I got. In the end, I came with empty hands. I didn't see my wife, my children. For three weeks, I couldn't learn Torah. And then I did not make a penny. And then my salvation came from across the street. What's going on here? Rav Chaim Kanievsky told him, the only reason you got this check is because of the insult and the pain that you had in America. If you wouldn't go and show Hashem how much you care for your yeshiva, Hashem said you don't deserve to have a yeshiva. Now when you show him how much you care and you left your wife, your children, and you ran and you ran and knock on people's door to bring money to people that learns by you, not their father. You don't want the place of Torah to be closed. So Hashem said, okay, you passed your test. I just want to show you that the money doesn't come from the wealthy people in America. It will come from the wealthy people across the street if I want. What happened? A guy made half a million dollars in a deal. He export, import. He came to Rav Chaim Kanievsky with the open check. Rabbi, please recommend me a good place to give it to. He told him, go to that place, write this chair at the name of that yeshiva, this. No, Rabbi, I prefer you give it. Here, he wrote the check. He gave it to him. He, wrote it. he came. He gave him the check. Finished. The yeshiva got saved. What you do in other places help you here. So that's what I'm saying. You sometimes come to a lecture. You know in advance nobody is there. It's all teenagers, young people. Nobody will give you money. They won't cover you the gas. They won't cover it at all. You know you lose $100 of your pocket that night. And then out of nowhere, somebody accidentally came that night and gave you an envelope, and it covered the next three lectures. And sometimes you go to houses of billionaires that spend $2,000 on food, sushi, things, and they say, thank you, goodbye, and send you home. And you pay for the for They have $50,000 chandelier, five cars in the driveway, and they say, thank you very much. You want some cookies? That's what happened. It's all from Hashem. You have to, Hashem, you are the one who gives the money. Not him and not her and not him. You don't see people. You just see how Hashem wants to give you the money. In everything, not only a speaker. Everything, salesman, this. He goes, he thinks, oh, this guy has a good business. I'm going to make good commission here. Beloni, it's just a cover-up. It cover-up. Cover I remember how long it's like this. Okay, anyway, so if a person, if a person is... He comes, a mohel comes, he has to check the baby before the breed that is not yellow. He pays time, gas, he comes, he checks. Then he comes the day of the breed. Then sometimes they come even after the breed to check. Three times a person comes, drive to you, waste hours of his time, do just because you take advantage, you know he comes and he has to do it for free because it's a mitzvah, so you enjoy to take advantage. The fact that the Torah say he has to do it for the mitzvah doesn't mean you have to take advantage on him. The Torah says, don't ask for money. But why are you not offering him for his efforts? Right? Or the same thing, you, you need to fix something in your house. And you have a friend that says, ah, don't worry about it, I'll do it for free for you. Don't be a fool and be happy. Oh, I got away with the payment. Insist to give him the money. Insist. And if he doesn't want, check by somebody else how much the job like this costs. 
see the average prices and put it by him, send him, send him the money. Why? Most of the time that people don't want to take money in their heart, they are dying to take the money. But they are embarrassed. What people's gonna say? Oh, he's my best friend, I'm gonna charge him for the job. But sometimes he lose other jobs because of this job. Was here, he lose time, money, he could have been somewhere else making money. The idea is trust Hashem, don't take advantage on people. That's the idea here. And we almost finished. Let me finish this page. And Baruch Hashem, I think one or two more lectures and we're done with the series. Uh, we're getting to the slide number 319. We have 20 more slides. That's it. Lo itol adam em alabanim. Now it's mitzvah shiluach haken. A bird is in a nest. You have to send the mother away and take the chicks or the eggs. Afilu letayer et ha-metzora. What does it mean to purify the leprosy? A part of purifying the leprosy is taking a dove, slaughtering it, take the blood, mix it. You know, that's a way, that's like a sacrifice of the metzora after it. So that's part of purifying yourself. If you spoke gossip, lashonara, and you have leprosy, you need that dove. Now you want to take it, you need it right away. But you take it, you take the mother, but the, you, no, you have to make the mother fly, right? So the mother doesn't want to fly. You always come back right away. So you say, you know what, let me take the mother. I'll take the mother, I'll use the mother for, for purifying the leprosy. So the Gemara say, you don't take the water, the mother to you when the chicks are still there. First you make her fly, you take them, you put them somewhere, and she comes, she sees an empty nest, she digests what she just saw, and then you can do whatever you want. Some people today, when they do this mitzvah, the mother comes, they see that nothing then, right away they put it back. The heart does not let them make the, the bird so upset that the chicks disappeared. Why, why, why do we have this mitzvah in the Torah? Did you ever think why Hashem gave us such a strange mitzvah? For exactly what I just said. When a person comes to do this, his heart is going on fire. Wow, what a cruel man I am. How can I do such a thing? How do I make these birds upset, so upset? How can I take the, the children from someone? That's what he's thinking. And then even when he's brave enough to do it, all day he feels guilty. One day he dies. Hashem, turn his video on. Let's see, Mr. X, what a tzaddik you are. What a righteous person you are. Raping, mechalel Shabbat, stealing. People are crying for all the million he stole from them. Beat up your wife, beat up your children. Ungrateful to me. Everything I gave you, use it against me. And all of a sudden, one minute of your life, you're such a decent person. You're such a, you're such humanity you have. Such a high standard of morality. You, how much you suffer for a lousy bird. Where was your conscience? When you were ungrateful to me for 70 years, for everything I give you, what did you say to me? Not only not thank you, everything I gave you, you take and do it against me and making me upset every minute of your life, never bothered you. Now for a lousy bird, you're almost dying. You need Prozac for a week to relax. Why are you not going to work, Moshe? I'm depressed. Why are you depressed? 
I did a lousy thing today. Well, I took the chicks from the nest, I put them on the floor, the bird came. This is it. To all you guilty, when I tell you to do something, you don't trust me that I know better than you. I know it's a hard test, I'm not saying no. But here it killed you, but to, when you drive on Shabbat, you smoke on Shabbat, it didn't bother you, huh? Why? What is a person going to answer? I promise you, you won't have an answer. So the Gemara says, What's the reward of this mitzvah? You live long life here and long life in the afterlife. It needless to say for the most important mitzvot of the Torah that you're going to live long life, life of eternity. This is a very small mitzvah. How long it takes? Two minutes. Two minutes, whoop, the birds come, you put it back, you didn't put it back, doesn't matter. For that, you're going to have long life. You learn Torah all your life, you're not, it's not going to give you long life. For two minutes, yes, but for 30 years of learning, no. So what are you thinking? Just to show you that even a small mitzvah like this, it's endless reward, needless to say all the others. Kal vachomer al mitzvot chamorot Torah. Tanya Dever Rabbi Yaakov Omer, Rabbi Yaakov, the Yeshiva of Rabbi Yaakov, and Lecha Kol Mitzvah, Mitzvah Sheba Torah, Shematan Schara Betzida. Not all the mitzvot in the Torah, you have the reward next to it. Only few respect your father and mother, the Torah says, Leman Yarichun Yamecha, that you have long life. And over here, where else? All the other mitzvot, it's unknown. But a big question mark, but, but everybody understands, it's at least better than this. So really, there's no question mark. You understand? If you come to work for a rich man, let's say you, they, they hired you, a rich family. They say, every once in a while, I want you to come teach our children uh, math, and uh, we'll take care of you. So one day you came, you taught them 10 minutes, 10 minutes, and they say, okay, we're busy today, we have to go. They give you $100 for 10 minutes. Thank you very much, we appreciate $100. A week later, they call you and they ask you to teach him four hours. What is the chance they give you less than $100 today for the four hours? There's no chance. A worse scenario, they give you the same. If something is messed up in their head, most likely they give you 400 no? If for 10 minutes they gave you 100 for four hours, it could be even 1,000 if they calculated by the minute. But for sure, it won't be less than the 10 minutes. So what, what fool does such a thing? For 10 minutes, pay 100, and for four hours, pay 50? So what, Hashem is more foolish than this person? That this person won't do it. No person would do it. So if for this simple mitzvah, you get such a huge reward, imagine, imagine all the other things. So the Torah continues. The Torah says, Respect your father and mother, it says, that your life of eternity will be long and that you get benefits. And also in the Shiluach Haken, it's the other order, that you get benefit and you would live long life. You understand? The Gemara comes and asks and tells a very, very important story. Somebody's father told him, go up and bring me chicks from the, bird, from the nest. On a tree, there was a nest. Send the mother away and bring me the chicks. He came, he took the chicks, and he was going down from the ladder. He fell and died. So the Gemara say, 
Where is the long life of this guy? What does the Torah say? You're going to have long life, no? So the Gemara say, Leman ya'arichun yamecha be'olam shekulo aroch. What it really means is not over here. Over here it's only a place to have a test. The real, what the Torah gives blessing is only eternal. Here, yeah, you can get here and there some rewards. But the real reward is for the place that is endless. This is what it is. This is, that's why the Gemara brought this. Le'olam shekulo tov. Leman yetav lach. Not here. Over here, there is really no pleasure. It's all illusions. Something that is temporary cannot be called pleasure. Because when you stop it, it's bring pain. Someone does something good for you and you feel good. And right when it's over, you feel worse than before it started. So what good is that? Somebody gives you a week every day, come, come, I'll give you food. One week gives you food, then the seventh day you're hungry, come, no, I don't give you anymore. The disappointment is sometimes you think to yourself, you better, you didn't start. Now I started to get used to it, I depend on you. You stuck me a knife in my back. This is how the people think. A person sponsors you for 30 years and one day send you a letter of termination. All the 30 years look like mud all of a sudden. Why? Because you're thinking now, how, what am I going to do? So the good here is limited, very limited. But over there it's endless and there's no defects. It's perfect. So it says like this. The Gemara says like this. Rabbi Yaakov, Chaza, Bedilma de Me'arer Be'avera Ava. Maybe while he was climbing on the ladder and he came down, he was thinking about an idol or something or a woman or something that he's not allowed to. So the Gemara say no, because bad thought, Hashem does not attach to action. Only when the action starts, you also get punished for the thought. But if it was only a thought for the first time, you don't get punished. But second time, you get punished for the first and the, and the second, for both. But first time, you get away with the thinking. So, but the Gemara said that's only if it's not idol worshipping. Idol worshipping, you get punished immediately. Maybe he was thinking about an idol while he was doing it. So, the Gemara says like this. Conclusion of this whole thing, I know time is running out. The Gemara say, okay, why didn't this mitzvah protected him from dying? You should take the reward that he's supposed to get for this mitzvah later and give it to him now and save his life. The answer, there is no reward for the mitzvot in this world. Whatever you have, don't ever think that you got rewarded for things that you did. Maybe 1%, maybe, you get. The rest is all for life of eternity, because it's an embarrassment to get paid here. Who wants to get in a temporary place? You want to keep it for the place that you're going to have it. If a person is, they send him a letter, you want a billion dollars. Give us a week until we're able to give you the money. In the meantime, live here in a tent for one week until we give you the house with a billion dollars. Big mansion with a billion. So they gave him a tent. So one week is in a tent, and they gave him the billion dollars. So he buy Picasso picture, he paints the paint, he put air condition, he bring a generator. So his wife telling him, Moshe, what are you doing? He said, I want to make the place beautiful. 
Persian rug, antique rugs, China table, this. So his wife told him, no. Why are you wasting the money on this tent? It's temporary. Keep the money for the mansion. This is us. First of all, live here. The week is this life. Before you realize it's over, the blink of the eye. He wants so much good here, here, here. What here? Here, it's over already. Nobody ever was happy for material things. It's just, uh, it's over before it starts. Keep it for there. Over there, the pleasure will never end. The Gemara continue, the Gemara say, but we have another question here. That's a very complicated Gemara. Very complicated. What does it say? We have a rule that someone is on the way to do a mitzvah, have a special protection on his way to the mitzvah and on the way back. So the minimum you should have said that this guy was supposed to be protected on the way to do this mitzvah. So what happened over here? The Gemara says, Sulam ra'u ava o makom de kavu kashani. We have a rule. We have a rule. This rule that when you go to do a mitzvah, you have special protection, it's not applied to a certain dangerous place. Which means, if you have a bag full of diamonds, and you want to go to a crime neighborhood at 2 o'clock at night every night to do business over there, and be, while, you go, while you're going there, you're thinking, I'm doing a mitzvah now, because 10% of the money I make with these diamonds, I give to the synagogue. Every day, no? I make, I come the next day to the rabbi, here, 500, 200. So I'm busy with the mitzvah. So for sure, none of these people here would murder me and rob me. Wrong. Wrong. Why? If it's a place of certain danger, the danger things, dangerous things are likely to happen, you are not Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and not Moshe Rabbeinu, that you have such a special way that God will go out of his way to make everyday miracles for you. Or miracles that everybody will recognize, oh, this guy has clear miracles. It's a holy man, no. And if it happened to you, they take away from your reward from other mitzvot. So one way or the other you lose. What the Gemara said that you're on the way to do a mitzvah in a not... In a, in a way that it's unlikely to happen, it won't happen to you as well. Let's see there's robbers once a year in this place. And they're now thinking to come to you. You get saved from them. Why? Nobody would know that you had a miracle. Because in a neighborhood like this, there's no robberies. So Hashem made you a miracle because you're on the way to a mitzvah. But since nobody knows about that miracle, it's fine. It did not eliminate the free choice from the people. If the people would see that uh, uh, 10 people go to this neighborhood every night to sell, one religious righteous person and nine very wicked people. The very wicked people almost every two, three days get robbed. And the religious rabbi go there for five years, every night nobody touched him. Do you think his people will have a doubt if the Torah is real or not? There's no more test here. Ah, when the religious man got robbed, just like when the Goy got robbed, oh, the world is nature. Robberies. Where is the justice? There's no justice. I can continue eat pork. No problem. No problem. Where is God? Where was God in the Holocaust? You know all these questions. But the Gemara answered these questions. Don't expect miracles to happen to you in a place that there is danger. Olam This is the law of nature. So... So, you know, I, I, 
I have another story that shows that this is the way it was. And uh, that, you know, when, when, a, when a place, when a zeka, when there is a zeka, this is a place of danger, Shani. Over there, that rule does not apply. You only get saved in a normal place. But place that there is so many dangerous things can happen, then it's over. Okay, so time ran out, I finished. Now, le next week, let me give you a preview of next week. Next week, uh, I have a story, very interesting story, about uh, similar to what we spoke about, about damages and uh, demons, about the laws of fish, impure fish, pure fish, how impure fish give birth, how pure fish give birth, uh, the bat that flies, how does he give birth, how do they breastfeed their babies, the dolphins, if a dol can a dolphin be conceived from a man, can it be half fish, half man, mermaid, mermaid, that's the name of it. It's very interesting. It's everything that people ask me, the next day it's in a shiur. <laughs> Somebody just called me and asked me about this Gemara. Baruch Hashem, we learned the subject very good. We'll give the answer. So it's a very interesting scientific shiur next week. Speaking about people who conceive in a day when they give birth, people who conceive at night when they give birth, uh, the way of conceiving, the birth, the, 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 the if, if, if it's laying on the back, laying on the stomach, all kinds of interesting things. Don't miss next week's shiur, Bezrat Hashem, next Wednesday 